no pressure. Uh, if you could turn, please, to Matthew chapter 6. We're reading verses 9 to 15 today. I'll give you a moment to get there in your Bibles or on your devices. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thanks, Greg. Well, I had fun being out at youth camp myself a little bit back and forth this week. Um, so to those of you that I got to hang out with a little bit, I'm glad we get to keep opening the Bible again on Sunday today. I'm happy we get to do that. And then I feel like I owe an apology to the rest of you in the room because there's so much excitement over here. And the rest of you might be thinking, how did I get left out of all of that excitement, right? And I don't like doing things where only certain people are allowed to be there. Everybody who's ever planned an event at our church knows that this is true. So when we have women's events, I'm always like, why can't the guys be there? When we have men's events, why can't the women come? When we have youth events, why can't the old people like me be there too? So I just sneak my way in as a teacher, and I'm sorry to y'all who couldn't do that, but it really was an awesome time. Um, So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit today um, about the topic of prayer. We're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous sermon ever preached. Not my sermon today, certainly, um, but the sermon that Jesus preached about 2,000 years ago, known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon ever preached. And as we're making our way through the Sermon on the Mount this summer, we came last week to a few things that Jesus says about how not to pray. Don't pray like hypocrites do. Uh, Don't pray like a hypocrite by just kind of um, speaking in such a way that other people will notice and speaking in such a way that other people will be impressed by your praying. Don't preach like a hypocrite. And then Jesus says, don't preach like a pagan either. Don't preach by just reciting the right words or looking for the magic formula or looking for the right words that will make your will happen on your time. Don't preach like the hypocritical religious people do, just trying to impress others. Don't preach like the pagans out in the world do, just trying to use prayer to manipulate God. But then it raises this question, how should we pray? And this question is really important because if you pay attention to the way that the Sermon on the Mount unfolds, and we're walking our way slowly through the Sermon on the Mount, but if you kind of take stock after reading through all of the Sermon on the Mount, paying attention to everything that Jesus says, you'll notice that right at the very middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in the very heart of the most famous sermon ever preached, in the very heart of Jesus's most famous sermon, what he does at the very heart of his key teaching on what it means to be a disciple and what it means to make disciples of Jesus, at the very center of it, almost literally in a literary way, 
At the very center of discipleship, according to Jesus, is praying like this. Praying these kinds of things, which is to say that whatever we think about prayer, according to Jesus, prayer is at the very heart of what it means to follow him. And so that raises a question, I wonder... I wonder what comes into your minds when you think about the topic of prayer. I wonder what feelings go along with prayer for you. If we could pause and think about that for just a moment. You know, we've got our youth section over here today. And I'm going to promise not to try to use that too often. But it's kind of fun, isn't it? And if I see you falling asleep, I'm going to use that again, all right? But we've got y'all over here, and I know that when I was a teenager, it would have been easy for me to think, you know, I'm kind of a young person, I'm kind of just learning about what it means to follow Jesus, and prayer is something that I'll spend my time doing when I'm older. Prayer is something that I might get involved in, like if I really get stirred up spiritually at some point down the road. As a teenager, even as a teenager who says, I want to be devoted to following Jesus, it might be easy to think of prayer or feel about prayer. That's just for the older people. That's just for other people. It's not really for me. And what I want to say to y'all today as we're paying attention to Jesus' teaching about prayer, what I want to say right up front is that Jesus is not just talking to the people who are older than you about the importance of prayer in discipleship. Jesus wants to invite you teenagers into a kind of discipleship, a kind of walking with him that has a life of prayer at the very center of it, not just later on in your life, but even this summer and even next year. And even before you reach 20 years old, and even before you reach 30 years old, Jesus is inviting you into a kind of discipleship that has prayer in the middle of it. And so then that raises the question for y'all younger people, how then should we pray? How do we learn to do that? And Jesus has given instruction that's very helpful for you. That we're going to look at. And let me talk also maybe to some of us who have been following Jesus for a lot longer than some of these teenagers have. I think for a lot of people who have been following Jesus for a long time, we can probably look back at some season in our lives when we got more excited about prayer than usual. But I wonder if for a lot of us that season of our lives is somewhere back there a few years ago. Maybe a couple decades ago, maybe a few years ago. I hope it wasn't all that long ago, but too often for us as disciples, we can think of prayer as one of many good things that I might choose to be invested in once in a while in my life. But here's what I'd like to say to you if you've been following Jesus for a while and a message on prayer or the topic of prayer, the idea of growing in prayer, feels like something I did before in the past I'd like to point out to you right up front, according to Jesus' teaching about discipleship, this isn't like according to me and my opinions about discipleship. This is how Jesus presents it. According to Jesus, a life of prayer is at the very heart of discipleship, not just in a few seasons of the Christian life, but it's at the heart of discipleship throughout all of the Christian life. 
from the beginning all the way to the end. And so whether for you it's kind of like, I know I became a Christian, I was all fired up about Jesus back then, and then I kind of became mature and I got into learning things and I haven't been praying as much, but I'm sure that's okay. Or maybe for you, it's like, I know there was that one season when I spent a ton of time praying, but then I kind of got busy with life and kids and tell me about it. I'm in that part of my life right now too. I understand getting busy with life and stuff like that, but, but if that's something that like in the past, but now I'm too busy, I want you to hear Jesus saying, it's not just for a few seasons of life when you got tons of luxury time. It's not just for new believers. It's for you. It's for all disciples of Jesus. Prayer is meant to be at the heart of what it means to be a disciple. I'd love to talk for just a second also maybe to those of you who are listening in and the idea of prayer seems kind of foreign because, I don't know, maybe you've not ever thought of yourself as a religious person. Maybe you've never thought of yourself really as a Christian person. Or maybe in the past you have, but you just say, this is like the most unspiritual phase of my life I've ever been in because of hard things that have happened or whatever. And so prayer just seems like not even something I'm trying to grow in. It's like not at all a part of my life. I'd love to say to you today, if prayer feels like it's not at all a part of your life, As we're listening to Jesus and his teaching on prayer, I hope that you'll hear this not just as kind of religious reflections for those who are into this kind of stuff. I'd love for you to hear, in fact, I'm praying that you will hear today by the work of God's power in your heart, not not by the work of what I can do by my talking to you, but like by God working in your heart and in your life while the word is being opened here. I hope that one of the things that will happen even today is you'll hear God inviting you into a relationship with him in which prayer is not just a religious responsibility, but it's a part of a real relationship with him. I hope that you'll feel God inviting you and even drawing you into a real relationship with him that involves prayer and talking with him. So here's what I'm getting at. As we talk about the Lord's Prayer and and learning to pray, this is not just for the older people. This is not just for the younger people. This is not just for certain seasons of our lives. This is not just for the men. This is not just for the women. This is not even just for those who are extra religious. I hope that all of us here will hear Jesus' invitation to take a step forward in prayer from wherever you are today. I hope that God's Spirit will stir us and move us forward as we listen to Jesus' teaching. Now, what is Jesus teaching us here with that kind of longish introduction? Jesus is giving us, beginning in verse 9, he says, pray then like this. He's giving us kind of a format for prayer. I'd rather call it a format or a template rather than a formula Because this isn't like, you know, when my kids were learning to play piano when they were younger, they would like learn to play one note at a time, kind of, you know, one note, one note, one, and if they miss a note, they go back and try to play that note again. Jesus isn't saying pray this prayer in that kind of way where we're just kind of trying to recite the right syllables in the right pace and in the right order. Jesus is inviting us into an, into an experience of what it means to pray by saying, here's how you can pray. Here's how you, y'all, 
can move forward in prayer by making habits of praying along these lines. Like this, Jesus says. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, I'd love to do a whole sermon series on this someday. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to do every last detail. But what I want to show you is that when Jesus teaches us to pray, I want to point out kind of three aspects of what happens, what we learn when we learn from Jesus how to pray in the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded here in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's the first thing that we learn. When Jesus teaches us to pray, we learn to pray personally to our Father who is in heaven. That's where Jesus begins his prayer, right? Verse 9, when you pray, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. The people listening to Jesus' instruction would have understood heaven as the place where kind of God dwells. Thus says the one who is high and holy, the scriptures said, the, the scriptures say. Uh, the, the, the heavens are described as kind of the exalted dwelling place of a holy and transcendent creator, of a holy and transcendent God. And yet Jesus teaches us in praying to draw near and speak to that holy and transcendent God who dwells in a high and holy place. Jesus teaches us to speak to Him not as simply God, although it's okay if you pray to God as God. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not like it's wrong to say God in the blank, right? But Jesus begins his teaching on prayer, not just by speaking of God as an abstract holy being. He begins teaching us to pray to the one who lives in heaven, not just as king. He teaches, which would be fine and right, right? But he begins teaching us how to pray, not just by describing the one who is high and holy living in heaven as a righteous judge, which would be accurate. Your honor. You see, all of these things would be right to describe God as holy, to describe Him as our Creator, to describe Him as our King, to describe Him as a judge. But Jesus teaches us to take a step forward in prayer by praying to a personal and relational God who is described as a Father. You see, to be a father, to be a son, to be a daughter, these aren't just duties You can accomplish. You can't just say, I fathered today, I checked that off the list. You can't just say, I daughtered today, I checked that off the list. You can't just say, I sonned today, I checked that off the list. To be a father, to be a daughter, to be a son is not a thing that you just do as a religious habit. To be a father, to be a daughter, to be a son is to be in a living relationship with a real person. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, He starts teaching us to pray by describing God in this highly personal language. I think in part to remind us that prayer is not just a religious habit. It's part of a real personal relationship with a true and living person 
God's. Who's not just a thing or an it, but a him and a who. Jesus teaches us to pray by teaching us to know and to understand God, not only as the one who exists up in heaven, but as the one who is known as our Father. And let me underline that word, O-U-R. God is not only a holy creator who reveals himself in relationship. Listen, do you hear these words from the mouth of Jesus? When Jesus says... I'm going to teach you to pray. He says, come along with me and let's go talk to our Father who is in heaven. Jesus doesn't, and and Jesus does give us words to pray, but he doesn't just give us a religious formula to follow. You want to learn to pray? Do X and Y and Z in that order and your prayers will get to heaven. When Jesus wants to teach you to pray, He says, come along with me to our Father who is in heaven. See, right from the very first, right from the very first words of the prayer that Jesus gives us as a model through which we can learn to pray, he's teaching us that prayer is intensely personal. It's not just a thing we do. It's part of a relationship with God. And it's a relationship with God that we don't just have as an individual. We have that relationship in union with Jesus who says, come with me to the Father. And that word O-U-R not only signifies that Jesus says, come along with me and I'll take you into the presence of our Father. By starting with O-U-R, Jesus reminds us that we are not in a solo relationship with the Lord. We're in this together. We're in this with each other, disciples, and we're in this with a global body of Christ around the world and across the ages. And so Jesus kind of brings us into prayer with this wondrous idea. When you draw near to God in heaven to make your requests known, You draw near to Him. You're invited to draw near to Him in a real relationship. As real as a relationship with your dad. Except better because He's better than your dad. And my dad is here today. And I'll even say that with him sitting here. Because he'd agree. Jesus invites you into a relationship that is like your relationship with your dad, a relationship with a real person in which he says, come along with me and in union with me and in union with my body around the world and across the ages, come into the presence of the Father. And you know, Jesus has these teachings about learning to relate to God as children with faith, not like an old cranky person, but with faith like a child. And I think this is a, an important part of what Jesus is getting at 
When he says that the kingdom of God belongs to those who draw near to God, not like old cranky people, but like little children, it's this aspect that what do kids love to do with their parents? They just make their requests known. They just draw near and, Dad, I need this. Dad, I need that. Dad, I need a ride. Dad, I need some money. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I've got this problem. Dad, I need some help. Jesus invites us into that kind of relationship with the creator of the universe. A relationship which is filled with respect because he is our creator who dwells forever in heaven. But a relationship of, but a real relationship of real family kind of intimacy. Like a relationship with our father in heaven. And so if we want to learn to pray with Jesus, if you're going to take a step forward in your, in your experience of prayer, even beginning today and even beginning this week, if we're going to learn to pray from Jesus, we need to learn to pray personally. Are there habits involved? Yes. But the sermons on prayer go to habits too quickly. And we miss the personal dimension of what Jesus himself is inviting us and leading us into. Come and pray with me to our Father in heaven. When we learn to pray with Jesus, we're learning to pray personally to God. He invites us into a relationship with God as our Father in heaven. But when Jesus teaches us to pray, he goes further than that, right? We've only looked at the first line. Let me put a few lines together here. In fact, let me suggest that we have it here. It begins with our Father in heaven, and then you can kind of look at it in two parts or two sections, two collections of requests, And when we learn to pray with Jesus, we not only learn to pray personally to our Father in heaven, we also learn to pray boldly for God's glory. Look with me, if you would, at how Jesus puts these phrases in front of us to teach us how to pray. When you pray, pray like this. Pray to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see what Jesus is teaching us there? He's teaching us to pray bigger prayers. He's teaching us to kind of resize our vision. He's teaching us to think much more expansively than we normally do. Here's the problem. Left to myself, if you just say, Josh, why don't you go and pray for a few minutes? If I don't have any guidance from Jesus or any guidance from God's Word, and you just say, Josh, go and pray for a few minutes, what's going to happen? First of all, it's gonna, I'm going to be very distracted because I'm a very distractible person. And so something's going to drive by the window. I'm going to be like, wow, that's really interesting. But then I'm going to be like, okay, I'm supposed to pray. What am I going to pray for? And I'm going to pray for something that's really close to my heart. 
right? Something that's really about my life right here and right now, which is not wrong. And I'm going to show you later that Jesus leads us to pray for those kinds of things. But here's what's going to happen. If you just leave me by myself, I'm going to be praying about me, myself, and I until I get distracted by another car. And then I'll be like, car just drove by. That's an old Buick out there, I think, right? And now like my mind's going wandering down that trail, right? And then a few minutes later, oh yeah, I'm supposed to pray. Right back to little me, myself, and I, and what dominates my prayers pretty quickly is nothing except me, myself, and I. Nothing else really gets into my prayers. But Jesus teaches us to pray much bigger, much bolder, much more expansively than that. He teaches us to zoom the scope way out as we draw near to God in prayer. And he teaches us to pray these massive prayers about God's glory. Hallowed be your name. We don't really use the word hallowed except for Halloween. And if you want to know why those words are connected, come find me later. I can explain it etymologically. But uh, we don't use the word hallowed very often. But it's an old word that refers to regarding something as holy. And so Jesus draws us out of our natural self-centeredness and he says, you want to learn to pray? Start praying that the name of the Lord would be revered as holy. And you want to learn to pray? Pray for things like this. Pray that your kingdom, praying to the Lord, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is one of those great themes of Scripture. Referring to the the reign of God throughout this world. Referring to His dynamic and powerful, life-changing, redemptive reign that we see entering this world now. And growing and expanding until that day when His kingdom comes in its fullness. Jesus teaches us to pray worldwide prayers as he says, why don't you pray for the kingdom of God to come? Worldwide prayers for people from different people groups around the world. Worldwide prayers that have to do with true justice and righteousness expanding in every part of the planet. When he teaches us to pray for his kingdom to come, he's teaching us to pray for the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ to win more hearts and more lives in more parts of this planet, especially where his name is not proclaimed. When we learn to pray with Jesus, he's teaching us to pray these bigger, bolder prayers for his glory. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, I'm no longer just praying for what I want to be done. Now I'm learning to pray for your will to be done. If we read the rest of the book of Matthew, it's almost impossible to look back on these words in the Lord's Prayer and not hear them as Jesus himself uttered them in his own moment of agony in the Garden of Gethsemane shortly before he gave up his own life as a sacrifice for our sins. And in that moment, shortly before he was betrayed and handed over and beaten 
and abused and eventually killed through crucifixion as a sacrifice for our sins. Shortly before all of that, Jesus is crying out to His Father in heaven, to our Father in heaven. He cries out, if there be any way that this cup could be taken away from me. But then, do you know what Jesus says after that? Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus in his suffering and agony shortly before the cross is demonstrating for us how hard it may feel at times in our lives to pray not just for my will to be done, but to kneel before the Lord with tears in our eyes and to pray, not my will be done, but your will be done. And then Jesus expands the greatness and the the expansiveness of this prayer even further. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. I mentioned earlier how the prophet Isaiah describes the dwelling place of God. As the one who is high and exalted, whose name is holy. But you know what else the prophet Isaiah explains in Isaiah 57, 15? He also says the Lord dwells in a place that is high and holy, but he also dwells with those who are of a contrite and humble spirit. It's a preview of God's redemptive purpose for all of His glory in heaven to come and find us where we are. To dwell with us in our fullness. A storyline that will reach its crescendo only at the very end of, only at the very end of the age. Only when Jesus returns and He wipes away every tear from our eyes. Only when Jesus returns and declares, Behold, I am making all things new. Only then will we understand the fullness of what we're praying for as we cry out this big, bold, world-changing prayer. Hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth, in the new heavens and the new earth as it is in heaven. Only then will we know the full magnitude of what we're praying for. But even now, we cry out for the kingdom of God to break in and to shine its redemptive light as far as the curse is found. Even now, we cry out to God for His His kingdom to break in and shine its light into our broken and tear-filled and hurting and sinful world. Even now, we cry these big, world-changing kinds of prayers for God's justice, for God's love, for God's redemption to break into this world and make it look like heaven. So if we learn to pray with Jesus, we learn to pray personally to our Father in heaven. We also learn to pray kind of boldly. 
I mean, Jesus just kind of pulls us out of the little tiny world that we live in. And he sets his disciples in the middle of this wider, greater, bigger story of redemption that he has been writing across the ages and around the world. And he says, bring your prayers in alignment with that bigger story that I'm writing. Pray that the Lord's name would be held high. Pray that His kingdom would come. Pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I know those are really big prayers. So big that they kind of make our brains and our hearts explode. But what I want to suggest from personal experience is that's the point and that's for our goods. You see what I'm saying? When we learn to pray with Jesus, one of the things that Jesus is teaching us for our good is to break us out of our little tiny worlds and to put us into a wider story of redemption and to start praying bigger, bolder, more expansive prayers along with Him. When we learn to pray with Jesus, we learn to pray personally to our Father in Heaven. We learn to pray boldly for God's glory across the ages and around the world. And number three, when we learn to pray with Jesus, we also learn to pray dependently for our daily needs. Isn't this interesting? Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 6, and we'll pick up in verse 11. We've just been praying, Hallowed be your name. May other people, may all of us, and may those around the world come to regard your name as holy. Kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now comes the next petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Do you feel the kind of all-inclusiveness from the massive story of redemption and God's kingdom breaking into this world? To the bread that we need today. (laughs) Jesus is teaching us to pray much bigger prayers, but he's also teaching us to pray much more daily prayers at the very same time. Pray for things as simple as the bread in today, including provision of all kinds. And, Jesus goes on, forgive us our debts. This is another need that we have in our lives, isn't it? Another way in which we're dependent on God. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I'll come back to that. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These three daily sectors of life, our daily bread, our daily debts, and our daily temptations that come from the evil one. These three daily aspects of life, daily bread, daily debts and sins, and daily temptations and battles with the enemy. One of the common themes in these three daily aspects of life is that it's very easy for us to say, I think I can handle that on my own. 
Yeah. It's very easy for us to say, especially starting with bread, look, I can make enough money to at least get a little bit of bread from my stomach today. And then if I really need God, I'll call him in for support at the end as a last resort. It's really easy for us to deal with our debts and our sins and our shortcomings and our failures by saying, I know I've made mistakes, but it's just human to make mistakes. And look, I'll find some kind of way to deal with those things myself. Thank you very much. And then we come to battles with the enemy, daily temptations, and sometimes foolishly, we find ourselves saying, I got this. I can handle it. And of course, there is a sense in which we have real responsibility in all of those daily things. We have real responsibility to work. In fact, all of the scriptures and maybe very pointedly, the New Testament has very strong teaching about the importance of going and as the New Testament puts it, using your hands to do work. Because if you won't eat, you, if you don't eat, if you don't work, you won't be able to eat. There's a responsibility that the New Testament and the Scriptures assign to us to go and work for our daily bread, in a sense. There's a responsibility that we have for our own sins and our own shortcomings. There's a responsibility that we have toward righteousness. There's a responsibility that we have to resist the evil one, as the New Testament itself directs us to do. But here's the thing. While we have responsibilities to go and work for the the basic provisions that we need, and while we have responsibilities to live in a God-honoring way, and while we have a responsibility to resist temptation from the evil one, we fall into the trap of thinking, I got this. We fall into the trap of thinking success or failure depends on me, and so I better just charge out there and get started. I shared this before, but y'all know our friend James Johnson, who's been a part of our church family for a few years, and he, he's been connected with Wayside Cross in a few ways, and James points out that when he's around Wayside, he just wants to make a t-shirt someday that just says, you don't got this. Because as soon as guys who are living at who are living at Wayside kind of after some challenging experiences in life, they get their feet back under them and they start taking some steps of responsibility. James just says the big problems all start as soon as they think I just took a few steps of responsibility. I got this now. And here's the thing for us in discipleship. As Jesus teaches us to pray about our daily needs, we all wrestle with this same, you don't got this thing that James Johnson is talking about, right? We all struggle with this thing where we're like, I've taken a few steps of responsibility. I got this now. Watch me. I got this now. I don't need my brothers and sisters. I got this now. I'll call God if I get in serious trouble. But Jesus teaches us a different way of living, growing out of a certain way of praying that recognizes, I don't got this. You don't got this. On our own, we don't got this. No matter how many steps of responsibility you've taken, Jesus 
kind of graciously reminds us it's good for you to take steps of responsibility related to daily bread and daily provision, but why don't you call on God on an everyday basis, recognizing that if the Lord doesn't build the house, the builder builds in vain. Even while there's bread in the pantry and food in the fridge, why don't we begin cultivating habits of calling out to God on an everyday basis, crying out for His worldwide story of redemption to, ta- to kick into gear and to get stuff done, but also taking into account our needs today for things as simple as bread. And Jesus teaches us not only to live in dependence as it relates to things like food and provision. He also teaches us to live in daily dependence as it relates to things like our sins and our need for the forgiveness of our debts. Did you notice that Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts right after he talks about praying for daily bread, as if there's a connection or a correspondence between these two things. Just as daily we need bread to fill our stomachs, so daily in this relationship with God that we have and in these relationships with other people that he has given us, we daily need restoration to the brokenness that we create and that we feel all around us in our relationships. I know relationship and is a word that we've used already a few times as we're thinking about the Lord's Prayer, but there's a reason. Jesus starts with this personal language. Pray as if God is your Father, our Father in heaven. And then we get down here and we start praying for daily needs And he says this work stuff that you're doing is also more relational than you realize. It's not just you going out and getting stuff done. You're doing it with God. So talk with him about the daily provisions. And what about the brokenness that comes in your relationship with God in an ongoing way? What do you need for that? What we need, the Bible has a beautiful word for it. It's this word forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that we've all longed for in our lives at one point or another, isn't it? When you feel a relationship broken with a brother or a sister growing up, you feel a relationship broken with a friend later on in life, you feel something breaking down in your relationship with your special somebody, You feel things breaking down in your relationship between parents and kids. We feel things breaking down and we long for those relationships to get restored. Maybe some of us are awake enough spiritually to notice when things have broken down in our relationship with God. Sin is not just disobeying commands. It's disobeying Him. It's not just disobeying a rule book. It's breaking relationship with our Father in heaven. 
And so in our relationship with Him, when we have wandered away and turned away from Him, what is needed is a restoration of relationship. And what is it that we need? It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is one of the sweet words of the Bible. And forgiveness in the Scriptures is described not only as something that kind of becomes a part of a wish dream in our lives. It's something that is secured by the blood of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave Himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that for all who trust in Him and follow Him, forgiveness, as we call out to God and say, I realize that something is broken. Father, would You forgive us for our debts? We don't come to Him hoping that just maybe. We come to Him with the confidence of the blood of Jesus Christ that has been shed as a once for all time sacrifice for our sins. So that that relationship that has broken down between us and our Father in heaven, it can be restored. And once again, we can draw near. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or there might be a footnote in your Bible that says from the evil one. I think these ideas are connected together, the temptation and the evil one. And this prayer, this prayer is, in this prayer, Jesus is teaching us to recognize that just as daily we need bread, and just as daily we need our relationship with God to experience the fullness of forgiveness and even reconciliation and restoration with our Father in heaven. In that same way, we need daily provision. We need daily strength. We live in constant dependence on God to protect us from the temptations that are sure to come. That are sure to come even from the evil one himself. Which maybe wakes us up a little bit to realize if, if you're aware that the devil is going to seek to pull you away from the Lord tomorrow, what are you going to do? Well, there are all kinds of good steps you can take to prepare for your responsibility. You can memorize scriptures. You can ask other people to pray with you and so forth. But there's nothing more important than just realizing, I need God. And I need to cry out to Him in a posture of dependence on a day-to-day basis so that I will not fall into temptation, but so that He will deliver me from the schemes of the evil one. Look, when Jesus teaches us to pray, He invites us into a relationship with God that centers on God's glory but also meets us in our deepest daily needs. And so, here's where the rubber meets the road. What are we going to do with the Lord's Prayer? What are you going to do with it? If you hear through the Scriptures Jesus inviting you to grow in prayer and to take a step forward in the life of prayer, what are you going to do with this Lord's Prayer? 
perhaps we can reach back in the history of Christianity a little bit and listen to one testimony for just a minute or two about how to use the Lord's Prayer wisely. I want to talk for just a moment about that fellow named Martin Luther who lived about 500 years ago. He was a man who is known today for in some ways, changing the course of at least Western history, changing the course of the world through leading the reformation of the church in Europe. But he was also known in his own day, and he was known to those who knew him personally as a man who was passionately devoted to prayer. In fact, here's how one person who knew Martin Luther described the way that Martin Luther prayed. One person who knew him, who lived in the same era, said, there is not a day on which Martin Luther does not devote at least three hours. Jaw drop, what? Right? Like three hours to praying, right? And the ones most suitable to work, those of us who are adults are like, okay, I'll devote time to prayer after I've done all of the other important things in my life. Martin Luther, at that time, I don't do this, okay? So if you're like, that's what all Christians do, I'm growing alongside you here, right? I'm learning from Jesus too. But here's one person who used to devote at least three hours a day, the very ones most suitable for work, to prayer. And then this fellow who knew Martin Luther says, once I was fortunate to overhear his prayer. And he says, good God, what faith in his words. He speaks with the great reverence of one who speaks to his God and with the trust and the hope of one who speaks with his father and his friends. And if you hear that somebody knows how to pray like that, the natural question is, how did he learn to do that? How can we learn to move in that direction in our own prayer lives? One thing that may be helpful is that Martin Luther himself was very honest about the fact that he didn't always feel like praying. One day he was getting a haircut from his barber and his barber asked him, Martin, would you teach me how to pray? And he said, I'd rather write about it. And so he wrote a letter, which you can still look up today, called A Simple Way to Pray by Martin Luther. It's still in publication today. You can find it for free online. And in the first pages of A Simple Way to Pray, that letter that he wrote to his barber and ended up getting published, he says, first, I, sometimes I feel I am becoming cold and apathetic about prayer. Anybody relate to that? There are times in our lives when we feel like we're becoming cold and apathetic about prayer. And he says this is usually because of all of the things that are distracting me and filling my mind. Also, he adds, I know this is a result of the flesh and the devil always waging war against me. Have you realized that the enemy of your soul wants to wage war against you and keep you from praying? When this happens, Martin Luther says, I like to take my little book of the Psalms and sneak away into a little room, or if it is the right time of the day or week, I like to go to church with other people. And what does he do there? Martin Luther describes a habit of how he learned to pray for hours a day. And it worked like this. He would take for example, a psalm. And he would pray, he would read that line of the psalm, and then he would pray whatever would come to mind as 
uh, as a result of that. Or he would pray multiple times a day over the Lord's Prayer in the same way. Not just reciting the syllables as if the Lord just wants us to say this sequence of words. That sounds more like trying to manipulate God than a real relationship with our Father, right? But here's how Martin Luther described how he would use the Lord's Prayer to learn to pray. He would say, I certainly do not bind myself to these exact words and syllables. Rather, today I say my prayers one day and tomorrow in some other way. It all depends on the mood I am in and how I am moved and ready to pray. But I do stick as close as I can to these kinds of thoughts. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I try to stick to these kinds of thoughts and the meanings each in each petition of the Lord's Prayer. It often happens, he reports, that I get lost in right and good thoughts as they come so that I do not even say the rest of the Lord's Prayer. When such thoughts come... Don't beat yourself up over it, he says. Instead, just let other prayers go and give these thoughts plenty of room. Do not in any way hinder them. For in this way, the Holy Spirit is preaching to you, Martin Luther says. And his sermon is better than a thousand of our prayers. You see how Martin Luther is teaching us as a brother in the body of Christ? Do you see how he's teaching us to use the way that the Lord taught us to pray? It's not just about simply repeating these words over and over mindlessly. It's about taking these words and staying close to the kinds of things that Jesus has taught us to pray for while giving space for God's Spirit, a real person who is with us and near us, to lead us forward in pouring out our hearts to the Lord. And in the process of doing so, we can learn to pray the way that Martin Luther prayed. In fact, even more importantly than that, as we follow these kinds of habits, which I would encourage you to build even this week, we each took the Lord's Prayer and just one line at a time, not just saying the words, but praying as God guides, using this as a template that we can fill in as the Holy Spirit works. As we pray in this way, we are learning to pray the Lord's way. We are learning to pray the way that the Lord Jesus has taught us to pray. In this way, we're learning what it means to be invited into a relationship with God that is centered on His glory and that also meets us in our deepest daily needs. And so, whether you arrive today feeling like prayer is for somewhere else down the road in my life, or whether you arrive today feeling like prayer was something I was into back then, whether you arrive today feeling like I love prayer or whether you arrive today feeling like prayer has nothing to do with me, I want to commend to you these words of Jesus. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. I want to commend to you these words as something that you can take 
and you can begin to use as guidelines for your own prayers, something that we as a church family can begin to use in our praying together. Because Jesus himself has invited us into this relationship with God centered on his glory in that great story of redemption across the ages and around the world. But that story of redemption that also meets us in our deepest daily needs, even today and even on Monday and even on Tuesday and even on Wednesday as we draw near and practice praying to our Father in heaven. I want to invite you, even today, even this week, to follow Jesus to follow Jesus in prayer. At this time, I want to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward. I know I've spoken longer than I intended to. It's camp week, and so I apologize that I did that. I had a few things going on. I spoke longer than I intended here, but I don't want to skip the Lord's Supper. And we don't want to move on as if this is just an add-on to our service. Because just as Jesus teaches us to pray in a way that is deeply personal, on the night when he was betrayed, he gave us the Lord's Supper as an opportunity to relate with him, to know him, to walk with him as our personal Lord's. He gave us the bread as a remembrance of His body. He gave us the cup as a remembrance of His blood. And He taught us to do this, to take this bread and this cup in remembrance of Him proclaiming His death until He comes as a part of our real and ongoing relationship with Him.